You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Hello and welcome to Fort Lord. This Roger coming to you on Wednesday, the 2nd of March. We are actually sans Joe again because apparently work is more important than podcasting. God. Now that he's an important guy with a team and supervisory role and all that bullshit. So anybody listening, I mean, we're looking for a replacement co-host really. that has his priorities straight. It does not need to be intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> Opinions on games can be flat out wrong. That's all right. <laughs> There's only one requirement. You have to play World of Warcraft because we need somebody who can talk about that. (laughs) That's pretty much the the requirements. The bar was pretty low when we hired you. (laughs) That's that's what we joked about. I was there. You were there, yeah, basically. Um, It was a short line. This is not going to be an excessively long show. Anyways, not just because Joe's long-winded, but also because we're just going to tack on a feature at the end. I got to play through the newest installment of The Walking Dead, Michonne, and I had some things to say about it. So I'm just going to do a feature on that later on. As for this episode, we're going to keep it nice and light. We had talked a while back about the game Masquerada, which... Masquerada? Masquerada? We're going to go with Masquerada. Yeah. Is it? Okay. Uh, it sounds better that way. It sounds fancy. It's... <laughs> It does. Exactly. And you had brought it out, uh, brought it out initially, and we talked about it. But then I'd reached out to the devs, and they were kind enough to give us a an older um, demo to play through. It's not very long, but it still was fairly interesting. What did you think of it? At first, I because, I mean, it's they just throw you into the middle of it. It's not a... Yeah. It's not a retail demo at this point. It's, you know, it's a tech demo. It's showing off the combat system. So, you know, there's no tutorial. There's no, I, I got I wiped in the first battle because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> but, you know, the more I played it and the more I messed around with all the different abilities and, you know, pausing the game, using it tactically, you know, keeping the group together, focused on single targets. The, the more and more I played it and the more I got into it, the more fun I had with it. It's the type of game that I really like as well that kind of small team where you can bounce mm-hmm. between the people, use their abilities and the the type of tactics feel to it as well. I mean, along it's kind with real time game, the last couple dragon ages should have been exactly really it is. So I kind of really dug that about it. And I was in the same boat as you <laughs> initially I was going, I was trying to use my keyboard and it just was not working. <laughs> going, what, the, what the hell is going on here? And then I, hooked up the controller and that was all right to be fair the um i wasn't crazy about having to use a controller and i couldn't i'm not gonna lie i couldn't figure out if you could even use a keyboard on it well i mean you have to keep in mind as far as i know this is a ps4 exclusive is it really oh just you know know, what they gave us a version that can run on pc you're absolutely right actually i i'd forgotten about that so yeah it's once i got used to what each of the abilities did it wasn't as bad then mm-hmm. i was all right but i found that until you're used to it it really is kind of 
It's harder if you're trying to do it in real time versus pausing for Definitely. your attacks. Because when you're trying to line things up, and I will say the AI is clever and won't just stand for your all bullshit. They're moving the, all over the geez. damn place. Because like, I've been trained by so many games. Hey, there's the ranged attacker. Go kill him quickly. And the motherfucker just keeps running moving around. Away. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, my team is dying because they have no DPS. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it it did a lot of things smart and... And it was not, at least, and again, this is really, it's a tech demo kind of thing, but... It, yeah, you also have to keep in, you know, keep in mind, we're just being thrown in. I mean, I would imagine if you're playing the game from the beginning, the powers and everything, they'll be kind of handed out oh, yeah, in, in a more you know, metered fashion so that you but can get a handle on I'm saying on it in a works. positive way. I, I mm-hmm. liked it, much like we're going to be talking about Darkest Dungeon in a bit. I like that it's tough. I like that it's not oh, yeah. babying you and making it too easy. I wiped on um, when you, you you go around the corner and you stupid woman in your group charges in like Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> and then I was like, ah, so I wiped in there. But I'd not yet figured everything out about controlling the different characters and everything. So that's that was on me kind of thing. But a lot of it was on accident. I was just trying. I was pressing buttons trying yeah. to figure out how to do something. I was like, oh. Oh, that's how okay. you do that. Yeah. yeah, same here. But I loved the voice acting. Mm-hmm. And just from that short little demo, it really gave you a good idea of how they're intertwining the story in with the the, the action that's going on, which was fairly cool, I thought. I, I kind of really dug it. And it made me actually look forward to experiencing the entire story for this. Yeah, it was just a fun little taste of the world. Uh, like, okay, here's some stuff going on. Like, I, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know what was up with the library. Why were they trying to get the books? Like, you know, Why what, are the books alive? <laughs> well, some questions you don't want to know the answers to. <laughs> I love how the librarian's just like, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> handle them. Yeah, this is normal. <laughs> this, this just happens sometimes. Yeah. I also, and we had talked about this when we talked about it initially, I love the color palette. Oh, it's gorgeous. It is a beautiful freaking game. And and again, when you tack on the the score and the um the voice acting, it's a beautiful game. Like a really, really stylish. And again, once you start tossing in the quote unquote supernatural elements, uh, well, books alive don't call you don't need quotes it's a supernatural event and and when you're you're getting the the story element where she's taking you through the library to find different tomes that they were after and things like that and it was again from a stylish perspective taking into account also the type of story they appear to want to be telling it really worked well together it it was a very fun demo even though the rep, when I was talking to him, was point blank saying, like, this is really old, but it's very stable. So that's why we're still letting people play this one. But the UI has been greatly improved in a lot of other things. So it really did actually get me excited to see more of what they're doing and to actually play because, yeah, it was justifiably very cool. Yeah, I, I can't wait at this point. It was a great teaser. Yeah. Let's move on to Darkest Dungeon. Now, you've been playing this for how long now? Uh, since it officially released, so about a month or so. But, I mean, I, I've only been playing it in short bursts. I I had not been playing it because 
once again, this is a game that's kind of had good and bad press and good and bad things said about it by people playing it because well, of that whole being released early and having people, again, see how the sausages are made and then them changing it based on what some people say. So it was kind of one of those that that put me off. Well, as I, someone who followed the the development of the game, um, like when it first came out, it was, you know, a really big hit. Because, I mean, this was an early access game that was fully playable and admittedly a lot of fun immediately. Like if you bought it for early access, you weren't disappointed. And they, with the promise that there was going to be more and more and more added. But what the developers had realized early on was that the game was too easy. Like there was certain things that were way too exploitable. So they added in some systems to change that like you know people were just blowing through the game with four hellions and that's you know that's not the type of game they wanted to design they wanted group diversity they wanted you using a lot of characters so that's when they added in the corpses where you kill an enemy and you know its corpse stays behind so you still have the strategic parts of you know being able to hit the back row or to move the enemies around now when it was first implemented it was really poorly implemented because they put the corpses in, but they didn't give the characters enough skills to work around them. So it basically just became a time sink because you just had to hack away at the corpse until you could get to the enemy behind it. So, yeah, when it was first implemented, it met with a lot of backlash and deservedly so. But again, it's early access. It's the game still in development They're They're basically it's public testing, if you will. Uh, but I mean, personally, mechanically, I'm really happy with where the game is now. That's what I was getting at too. Yeah, like, I, 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 I know. I just I know no, 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 no. following just, the full development. Yeah, so. yeah, no, that's what I mean. Like I again, it had put me off initially, but you guys both saying how great, good it is right now made me say, okay, well, it's it, it's worth giving it a shot. And it's not like it's an expensive game. So my son and I have actually been playing it. Actually, he's been really loving this game. So how how far have you gotten? Well, that's that's the thing. I we're playing differently. He's willing to sacrifice everybody to just level up some characters. Right. Whereas I'm willing to take it slower. See the difference between a teenager and middle-aged guy. I'm willing mm-hmm. to take it slow, slower, raise money, keep them sane, oh, yeah. and get everybody's stuff up. I, I'm, still- I'm so conservative. I think I'm on like week 35 and I've only killed three bosses. Yeah, see, I a lot of the instances, the dungeons, I don't even finish them. If I look like I'm going to lose somebody, mm-hmm. I just say screw it and I back out of there, and then I'll just take the penalty from there. And that way, I'm still hanging on. So far, I've lost yeah, it, four it, it, people. It's better for a level three character to go insane than it is for them to die. Yeah, you so, can fix insanity. <laughs> yeah, I I have not gone too too far simply because of that. I've, I've put in a number of hours, but a lot of it was messing with the different kind of not builds but you know different group dynamics oh, of who to take with love. you and I, stuff I don't like think that. I've played the same group twice I'm constantly messing with the dynamics yeah see whereas Tristan has got his teams down to a science and the ones that are going to stick around are the ones that he names if they don't have a name that he put in, they're fodder. As far as he's concerned, he'll kill them off. I'm and, suddenly reminded of Galaxy Quest. What's my last name? <laughs> That's right. I don't have one. So, uh, so yeah. So I've been. I I was so pleasantly surprised by this game. I like 
the story behind it, which you can go into in a moment. Mm-hmm. I love the acting. The art style the, the is voice acting sick. Is, geez. Every, everything about the game. And I love, and I do like the fact that it is brutally hard. But the and thing you, I like most about the difficulty is that you can't fail. It could take you 300 weeks to finish the game, but you can do it. You're never going to have to start over. Yeah, you're just going to go go through a lot of guys. Oh, yeah, and, <laughs> and that's characters. something we're actually working on balancing is that, you know, if you get to the end game and you fail your dungeon run, it's a lot of work to get another team ready for that final dungeon. So that's they're they're currently working on balancing, you know, the grind, if you will. Yeah. So far, I don't really I don't mind the grind. Because it's it is, fun. it's it is it's a lot of fun, and I like the tactics involved of the your your team, and and it's what I like is again we just talked about that. I like that kind of tactics feel to to a game, and this is much more accessible. It's right there in front of you. Your team is right there. You're not messing around with a large grid where you got to worry about everybody's placements and whatnot. It's very straightforward. But then there's a lot of complexity to the combat, to what type of damage you're doing, to the buffs and debuffs and all that kind of things. Not to mention your group dynamics as well, which play a large part of it as well. Not to mention what opponents you go against and then what their impact will be Mm -hmm. on your team. You got a Hellion in the front, which is my favorite. And then all of a sudden some jackass shoves her three slots over and it's like, God damn it. (laughs) Or or even worse, you make the mistake of taking your Hellion and your Jester into the cove and realizing that the fish people are resistant to bleed. (laughs) And you go, well, might as well just leave now. Man, jesters are freaking insane. I didn't realize it until I'm I took the I'm still trying to figure out how to use him right. Oh, my God. That and what's the one that looks like a freaking scarecrow? Um, the, the abomination? Nope. Not the abomination. Because okay, I, I don't even use him. No, because they're not good for the rest of your party, which kind of kind of Supposedly, there's items that you can get that'll curb that, Less but I haven't found any of them yet, so I'm continuing to not use them. The uh, There's one. It's a woman that looks like she's dressed like Scarecrow from Batman. Like, has the big kind of hat. The, and... Oh, the Gravedigger. She's my favorite. Yes! God damn, is she ever tough. Holy Christ! I took her out in one mission, and Tristan happened to be watching me play. And I did a couple of, of, of shots with her, and it was like, the damage was sick. It was just boom, and I'm going... Oh, <laughs> I just found my new favorite. So I've kind of like, and I love it too. I've got this hellion woman at the front. I've got this woman here, one spot behind. I've got another as my healer. I just need one more to round up my girl bed. <laughs> uh, you got to have an arbalest in there. Uh, yes, actually, I was using her for a while too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she was, she was kind of good, but I liked some of the other ones as well. But, so you see, I, ha- I have two main teams that I roll with, but I said I'm always tinkering based on the challenge I'm going up against. Or basing based on who's not currently insane. <laughs> that plays a like, larger role, yeah. Yeah, I, primarily I use uh, a man-at-arms or a crusader in the front with a hellion, a gravedigger, and a vestal at the back. But the other team, which is so much fun to roll with, it's just so dangerous, is my leper, bounty hunter, occultist, and arbalest. Because the occultist has this vulnerability hex, which weakens the enemies and marks them which vastly increases the damage of the bounty hunter and the arbalest. So, I mean, it's it smokes bosses, like forget about it. But 
the occultist, I'm noticing the more I level, the worse of a healer he's becoming. Really? Mm -hmm. Because his heal is is huge. Crazy, yeah. Like it can go, it can either do 16 or zero. (laughs) And then there's the the added effect of uh, it potentially adds a bleed onto your character. And it fits with the with with the occultist because it's you know very you know occult based and he's dipping into dark magics. So there's going to be a side effect, but as I'm leveling him, the bleed damage is outpacing the healing damage, and it's becoming a big problem. Hmm. And I mean, there's again, there's items you can get that will uh, lower his debuff chance, so he's less likely to make you bleed. But that also means he's less likely to debuff the enemies. So it, it, I'm still trying to figure out a way to get that group to work at higher levels because at low levels, it was just destroying everything. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've i been trying to do a little bit more of stacking a group properly. But again, it's most of them are so low level and I, I'm juggling who has some mm-hmm. form of insanity or needs a drink or needs to get late or whatever. So it's like, oh, for crying out loud. So I just kind of been... <laughs> I had somebody, I sent them to the, the Abbey to pray. And then I come back from my mission and they found Jesus. They just straight up left for a couple of weeks oh, on Jesus. a religious pilgrimage. <laughs> Those are the things that I like about this too, because it's <laughs> yeah. so random some of the shit, but it makes the game feel alive. Like case in point, very first stuff I'm doing in this game, I'm playing and, and again, at one point Tristan is behind me watching and we get a chest, and so I open up the chest and see the stuff, and then all of a sudden it's gone. So I'm going, oh, fuck, it's bugged or whatever. So I keep going and playing and, and go, and it's not until Tristan had played the game for a while that he comes back to me later and says, I figured out why, why your stuff was gone. And I went, really? He went, yeah, the first guy you get is a kleptomaniac. And I went, mm-hmm. you're kidding. He says, yeah, look. So I check, sure enough, fucking guy steals your shit. <laughs> so that's when I went, bye-bye, you're gone, buddy. Oh, that's my, I- <laughs> my grave digger is awesome like she she has like huge chances like scout ahead and pick traps but she also eats twice as much food as anyone oh else. my god <laughs> i go through so much food it's unbelievable unbelievable and i i love the provisioning aspect of your task you know you only have so many inventory slots to work with and obviously only so much money to work with you if you want you can give your party everything going in but odds are you're not going to be profitable and the way the various items interact in the dungeon of, you know, if you're going to this place, you're going to need holy water because a lot of the, as they're called, the curios, the little items you can click on have a strong chance of giving you a negative effect unless you have the proper item to counter it. And there's so much every time, even if you get destroyed, you're going to learn something with every run. The other thing that I like, too, is once again, same intuitive design your dungeon will be different depending on how much torchlight there is. Oh, yes. Which I thought was in just such a brilliant concept that not only is it getting harder, but now you're going to get better loot. But it's not just that. Some of your characters have abilities that work better or worse depending on how Mm -hmm. much light there is from your torchlight. I was going, Jesus, that's just a phenomenal design. So why don't you give us just a, a brief rundown on what the, the actual story of the game is? So you, the player character, I mean, you don't really do anything. You're, you're the one that's managing this keep that you've inherited from your uncle, your grandfather, I forget. But 
we'll call him grandpa just because I can't remember off the top of my head, who was into some really weird shit and dark magic, digging into the ruins that were underneath the family manor and basically found some stuff that mere mortals should not be messing with. And it drove him insane. So you, as the lucky young chap who has inherited the family manor, now you have to fix it. You have to scour the manor, the ruins beneath the surrounding countryside to figure out what the hell grandpa was getting into and basically seal it away. So there's a lot of Lovecraftian stuff going on here, which, as anybody knows, that's 100 percent my thing. I absolutely love it. And in doing so, you know, you hire adventurers. Yeah. You are not the one going into the dungeon, if you will. You're the one that's hiring these poor schmucks coming off the stagecoach and sending them to potentially their doom. And that's what the more I've played the game and the more I've discovered. In a lot of ways, you as the player, you're the villain in everybody else's story. You're the asshole that's hiring these people who have nowhere else to go, nothing else they can do in life. Like this is their last chance to earn a living and you're the one that's sending them off to their doom when they they come back and they're not successful enough you just fire their asses (laughs) they knew what they were getting into there was a a point uh last time i played i had three failed runs in a row like it was just it didn't go well i had to abandon and i was out of money so i took the first four brand new characters off the stagecoach shoved them into a dungeon with absolutely no supplies had them run as far as they could collect as much loot as they possibly could which they got a lot of because i didn't give them any torches (laughs) recall them get all the money and then kick them out (laughs) so i mean in a lot of ways like at least my interpretation is that you know being in this family manner with all the weird stuff going on is twisting you the player character in the same way it twisted your ancestors and i love it well, what it does as well is that, and it tells you right from the get-go, it, it is a game where you are going to lose people. It's just how many people you're going to lose that is going to determine how far you get as well. What are you willing to sacrifice, mm-hmm. they keep saying. And what winds up happening is that the longer you play, the more you get desensitized to losing people. And yes. It's more a point of their fodder. Just just toss them in, let them get as far as they can, and then go when from there. When a character there. dies, I'm only pissed off if they're carrying, like, a really good accessory that I've <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you don't get that back? You do. Okay. All right. As long as somebody survives, you do. Right. I Like I said, I've only lost four, one of which I actually really liked. I was disappointed. To I, see I should take go. a screenshot of my graveyard. It's it's not pretty. Yeah. And the other mechanic- and that's not counting all the people I've just fired because they were too <laughs> insane to salvage. The other like thing- you have how many diseases? Nah, sorry, buddy. Well, see, that's the other thing that I like is the 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 quirks as well that they can get. Mm-hmm. Like when you are in the instance and all of a sudden screen goes black and red and somebody's either got some weird ass disease that completely or not a disease, but a quirk or something that completely changes. Oh, you're then going to be playing from that on because they're fucking shit up for you. One of them decided he was going to be a masochist and didn't want to be healed anymore. It was like, son of a bitch. That's amazing. <laughs> so I liked all of those things as well. Every time that I've gone into a dungeon it's been something different and that's saying a lot for a little indie game. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's 
no matter how long it takes, I know I will get to the end of the game just because it's so much fun to keep trying. Yeah, definitely. It, it, with all the different permutations, both from the dungeon point of view and from your party's point of view, it's never going to get old. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, moving along. You probably didn't care about the Uncharted. Story. I cared a little bit. It was it was cool. It gave us some information without spoiling too much. So it's it's doing a good job ramping up for the, the game's release, which got pushed back a little bit, but that's fine. And uh, so, yeah, so we got flashbacks with his brother. And again, this, this idea of they've been chasing this pirate treasure since they were kids kind of thing. Very Tomb Raider-esque kind of thing with various areas. They're going all over the goddamn map. We got hidden cities, a lot of different zones, underwater zones, all kinds of things. I it was a cool trail. I liked I liked that they quote unquote borrowed the Assassin's Creed image. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. They should have actually left it in if they got permission from yeah, Ubisoft. Just, just throw Ubisoft a few dollars. <laughs> yeah. Come on guys. It would have been hysterical to leave it in, but they did change it. But no, it was a good trailer. I again it's funny because we were just talking about um trailers and marketing for Deadpool on comic book informer podcast and how too much is not a good thing. And I feel with these, we're getting just enough details to get us more and more interested without spoiling too much kind of thing. So it's a nice balance and, and I enjoyed it. Well, uncharted is an easy game to market because you don't need to show off too much. You don't need to show off the combat because let's be honest, nobody wants to see that. You just show off some really cool scenery, so some crazy character moments, and that's it. Like it's it's very simple. The one thing from this trailer, though, is now I, if I can't get a full game, I would like a full game, but at least give me a segment in this game that flashes back to teenage Nathan and Sam. I want to see them exploring that haunted house or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, like, I, I I want uncharted gameplay with you know these two brothers when they were younger. That. That would be fantastic. Not just a cinem- cinematic flashback, but mm-hmm. a flashback wherein you actually get to play as them. Absolutely. I, I agree. That would be really good. I'm hoping that's what they do. <laughs> Where there's some chest high walls that they have to hide behind and shoot 50 guys <laughs> with their slingshots. Oh, BB guns. They'd have BB guns. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay, move on to uh, the psychopaths that you found. Yeah, this was really cool because we were just talking about graphic novels and how we want more. And just this past week, it was announced that the graphic novel for the Psychopaths anime is being translated and coming to America later this year. Have you seen the Psychopaths anime? No, I haven't. Neither have I. Like, I've heard it was cool, but, you know, I've heard a lot are cool. But apparently, like, it was huge in Japan. So I had to do a little bit of research and now I really want to watch it <laughs> because, uh, as they say, it's from Production IG, the same studio that did Ghost in the Shell and a lot of that stuff. And it definitely has that similar style to it. The animation looks fantastic. And as I said, the story is inspired a lot by Western science fiction, specifically a lot of the movies based on Philip K. Dick novels. So Minority Report and Blade Runner. And you can definitely see both aesthetically and conceptually where those connections are because it's this dystopian big brother-esque future in japan where everybody wears i forget what it is a wristband or whatever that monitors your you know your brain and this your stress levels and it's it's called your psychopaths your your score and it, and it also monitors you know when people are getting too stressed or likely to snap or crack or do something crazy and that's their crime coefficient so that's when the police are then sent in 
It's just like Minority Report. Hey, you're about to do something bad. We're going to arrest you now. So there's a lot of cool stuff with the, the Public Safety Bureau, as they're called, where there's two different levels. There's the, the street cops, if you will, the enforcers. And they found that enforcers that have high crime coefficients themselves are more effective at their jobs because well, they can think like criminals. So the street level of the Safety Bureau is almost as dangerous as the people they're out to stop. So that's where you have the investigators who are the ones who keep an eye on the enforcers. So there's a lot of really great psychological drama on top of just, you know, the crazy dystopian future of living in a surveillance state. So there's a lot of really cool stuff going on here. And the thing I like most about this game, which is subtitled Mandatory Happiness. I love that title. It's hilarious. Is... Unlike stuff we've seen with like Fate Stay Night or um, Steins Gate, it's not a retelling of the anime. This game is an entirely separate side story that takes place at the same time as I think they said the first six episodes of the first season. So it's this is an entirely new content set inside this universe that's able to tell its own unique story. And from the beginning, you can pick from two separate characters. Uh, the male character, Takuma Surugi is an enforcer. And then the female character, Nadeshko Kugitachi, is an inspector. So you're going to get both different sides of the safety bureau as they're chasing down this mysterious villain named Alpha. And it's just – I don't know too much of the details because I didn't want to accidentally spoil myself because the game has been out in Japan for a year now almost or at least a few months. So I was a little worried about accidentally spoiling myself, but it plays out a lot like a police procedural of you following evidence, you, you know, trying to track down this criminal and just like a good graphic novel, there are so many different separation points where there's multiple different endings. You know, the case can end early if you don't get the right evidence or, you know, you can catch the bad guy or there might be, you know, at a cost. So there looks to be a lot of really great replay value to this game. I'm really excited because it's a straight graphic novel from what I saw. There's no, you know, none of the, none of the romanceable stuff. <laughs> so it's just a straight, serious drama set in this really cool sci-fi universe. And I'm now really excited for it. Did they give any indication of price that we can expect? Uh, I don't think so. But they said it's coming to uh, PS4, Vita, and PC. They're actually not translating the Xbox One version. Which is funny because the Xbox One version was the initial one that was released in japan oh really Mm -hmm. that's fine but being an xbox game in japan three guesses how well it sold exactly yeah so they're so they're using kind of that indication as well if it didn't sell in japan it's not going to sell in america which is kind of the exact opposite (laughs) but uh, but i don't know it also seems to make sense that the playstation versions of a game like this probably would sell better in the west anyway and that's not to say the xbox one version would be as huge of a failure as it was in japan but it probably wouldn't be as profitable as just. I don't think it would be no, because again, PlayStation is more known for the visual novel stuff, mm-hmm. and honestly, the Vita is made for those kind of things. Vita is freaking made for visual novels. Absolutely. We should have so many more. Uh, I'm kind of disappointed that the only ones that we have tend to be the ones that are the romance ones. It would be nice to get a variety of visual novels on it, just because it's so bloody great for them this is the first step in that direction and it's exactly what we were talking about a few weeks ago more variety give us more let us prove that there's an audience for this type of game and we have that chance what's the uh, release date do we know approximately Uh, i I just closed the tab so i don't have it in front of me but i think they want it out uh by summer i think they said like around june all right cool 
Well, I'll definitely be checking it out, and uh, I'll likely pick it up for the Vita. Yeah, that'd be freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Did you check out the trailer that I put up for the new Sherlock Holmes game? Yes, I out? did. I I actually have the last one, uh, Crimes. Of I heard it was really good. I, exactly. So it was a, a insane sale. So I said, sure, I'll pick it up. I just have never gotten around to playing it. But of course I've, not. I've never hidden my love of Sherlock Holmes. We, case in point, just talked about Mr. Holmes on Popcorn Ronin this week, which is going to be coming out at the same time as this episode. You just so, to plug both podcasts at the same episode. Good job. Pro, pro. Okay. It's not like I just started doing this last week. So anyways, I am looking forward to now playing through Crimes and Punishments just so that I can then be ready for this. This is going to be coming out on the 27th of May, and it's called The Devil's Daughter. And... Whereas a lot of the other home stuff is obviously the the science, the logic of the detective work. This involves a lot more supernatural stuff. And I like when they toss that in because mm-hmm. you have, you can have some very interesting character development with, with Holmes when he's tossed into a situation that, defies explanation because it goes against everything that he that he is so the trailer for this was crazy cool (laughs) just it makes you want to pre-order on the spot that good i i loved it see it's cool because we've seen supernatural stuff come up in previous home stories you know stuff like the hound of the baskervilles or whatever but it's always been you know the scooby-doo supernatural there's always a logical explanation for it but what we're seeing here Seems like they're definitely going in. No, this is a supernatural story. There's there's going to be something here that maybe Holmes can't explain. Yeah. And of course, you put a creepy ass little girl with a creepy little doll. You got me. I, I got it. I got to know what's going on here. And you heard it here. Game developers. Creepy little girls are what Roger with, likes with creepy dolls. Yes. That's creepy as shit. That's the kind of horror I like. And uh, and so, no, I it, it looked very cool. They're, they're also saying that this one's going to have a lot more action sequences, which kind of fits in with what we saw in the trailer with him chasing after the little girl and being kind of held back by these supernatural elements, which I'm going to assume that was a dream sequence of some sort or sort, what yeah. else. Who knows? But... Even, again, just from the little tidbit of information that we got here of what's going on, and that trailer is enough for me to, yeah, I'll I'll plonk down some money for this. I I really am looking forward to playing it. Mm -hmm. Before we move on to the VR stuff, which I know some of it you are going to be excited for, uh, just a quick note that I've actually been playing a lot more Wildstar again lately because, A, it's still free to play. And watching my money, that's a good thing right now. It's still a great game that I like. But they've been making some changes. There's a new drop that's going to be coming out that has a ton of new stuff. But also they made a very, what I think, very good change for PvP. Because, again, they are still hurting for, for players, so they don't have quite as many. So they're noticing on their PvP servers that they simply don't have a lot of people, which then makes the idea of open-world PvP kind of pointless if there's nobody there so they're going to merge everybody into the pve however they're going to set it up so that you can choose to flag yourself which that's nothing new to mmos Mm -hmm. but it's the incentives that they're giving you 
to do it that are really cool because now you get to choose when you want to do any sort of open world PVP, which is good because if you're on a dedicated PVP server, you don't have that choice. So here you have the choice and it's not just that you're going to get some quote unquote PVP tokens to spend on various items, but they're actually increasing a lot of other things, your money drops, your chances of different things. So that I really, really like there, there actually is a good reason for you to want to flag yourself every once in a while. And so you if you're do, just out in the world questing and you're flagged, it increases your rewards. Yeah, I don't know if it increases your rewards per se, but I know it increases your, your, I think your money as well as your experience. But but stuff you get from non PvP just by you just get exactly. it by being flagged. Okay. Yeah. So it's now a cool risk reward mechanic. Well, not just that, but if there's not a lot of people on because of the time of day, you can decide. Oh, what the hell? You know, I'll just flag myself. There's less likelihood that something will go bad, and then you get a lot more. Whether again it's money or experience, kind of thing, and you might get ganked. Who knows? But mm-hmm. it's a chance that you're you're taking. So it's it's being well handled there. The, for the last little while now, I mean, more than just little, they've been making some very smart decisions in how they're molding the game to make it better and more appealing for more people. So I really dug that. Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting thing. It it's something we haven't seen before, to my knowledge. Not done this well, no. Mm-hmm. So, but that's yeah, normally one... it's like, oh yeah, if you could flag yourself for PvP, cool. What do I get? You get the opportunity to PvP. Yeah. But they do a lot of that with different things to try to encourage you to play, which is not mm-hmm. something that you see in a lot of the other ones with their, their pay models. Case in point, you can just look at freaking Swotor, which has one of the worst pay models I've seen. But there's no really encouragement. It's not stopping me from giving you. them $15 a month. Yeah, but that's just because I need those goddamn chapters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not even 15 for me. It's closer to freaking 24 bucks with the exchange rate which literally has me wondering whether I'm going to keep going till August or not for mm-hmm. that HK chapter because it's it's freaking it's way too expensive. Let's move on to some VR news and then that'll be that. Just because there was some interesting stuff that came out for VR as I mean there's bound to be because it is the year of VR and whatnot. The first thing that really caught my eye was the fact that they are actually working on a VR MMO. And so IBM Japan is working on a, a Sword Art Online inspired VR MMO. We know how this story ends. We They're basing it off of a really bad thing. <laughs> but I can tell you. I hey, can't... you know that story about how virtual reality ruined people's lives? <laughs> I'm betting you it got a lot of people excited. Oh, I guarantee it did. Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I'm not saying I didn't. (laughs) I looked at that and it was like, oh, this is for me. Why did this take so long? Yeah. I'm not going to say that it would get me to purchase first gen gear like the HTC Vive or the the Rift. But no, you need to wait until they get the gear that lets you taste the butter on the bread. I can do without that. (laughs) That's that's not going to happen. But. By second generation, if they've had enough time to really tweak this as well, a VR MMO, I, that might be the turning point for me where I'm really willing to put down a significant chunk of change to do that. Cause I mean, that's if, you're, just if you're already ignoring all the other social things in your life to play an online game, you might as well do it in VR. Dude, seriously? A sword <laughs> I, art I can online? see the headlines now. Oh my God. 
It'd be awesome. <laughs> like, honestly, picture playing Final Fantasy in, in VR as well. Final Fantasy fourteen mm-hmm. in, in VR. Like, for you, think of it in terms of even, which is not likely to be the case when it can eventually do it. But if it was now, wherein you and Alicia could be playing both of you in VR in Final Fantasy fourteen, the level of intimacy because you're in that world. Go ahead. And say what you want to say, Raj. That's, I was it, not that type of intimacy. <laughs> There's no Iron Forge tram in Final Fantasy. There must actually be a spot like there was for a while. I guarantee there is. But, um, but no, the idea of, again, that closeness to your party members, because you're all, for all intents and purposes, as far as your brain is concerned, in that world. That, to me, is just phenomenal. Like, it really is... That's to me. That's the 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 high point for where VR should be reaching for. Is are those multiplayer settings like that, be it MMO or some other type of of multiplayer thing, where you are in the world together, exploring, adventuring, whatever. That's that's just phenomenal. So apparently, it's uh, constrained to the Balmung server in the city of Ulda. Oh no. I, I had to I had to look because I just I knew there was a place and it would bother me until I knew where. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> they had a huge demo again for the Vive for the Void game, which once again is showing off how we are going to get some amazing. Not just horror type games, but the the type of adventure games which rely a lot on, be it creepy settings or Tomb Raider-esque type settings or whatever. And I, I, again, found that fairly cool as well. And then the one that killed me, the freaking TCG. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that, this dragon front, and it was like, oh, well, there you go. I guess I'm buying a VR sooner than I thought because if I can play a freaking card game in VR and it's so intuitive that I could just be reaching over and flipping cards and holding them and doing all that, oh, oh, that will make me so happy. That they would just, make they me need so to sell happy. the add on so you have like a little Yu Gi Oh thing on your arm. <laughs> I would do it. <laughs> Oh, God. And then we got some freaking, which sound like it was off the cuff comment, but the HoloLens, how they're holding it back just because they want to make sure that when they're releasing it, there's actually going to be stuff that you can do with it. But the off the cuff cuff comment on the $3,000 potential price tag, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, that's the price tag for the dev kit. That's not the price price tag when it eventually reaches what that means a lot that still says a lot as to what they potentially plan on selling the thing for itself as well that's holy fuck i mean it's it's a starting point i i I guarantee we won't see this as a retail technology for at least three to four years until they they know they can't release this thing for that much they're not crazy did you see i had just found the uh, the other one on the meta too did you see that video no i just put it into uh, discord earlier it is the same kind of principle 
as the Hololens, although it's a it's done differently for the um, the the quote unquote visor kind of thing and how it projects it there. And so it's more, it's a bigger environment. And mm-hmm. it was talking to a couple of the devs in terms of how it works and what you can do and whatnot. And it is far more intuitive and way, way better in terms of how you can manipulate things that are on the screen. And it's not just a, you can only grab with your hand like this to move things. No, it's, you can kind of tap with a finger to move things. And they showed it like there was a couple of, of uh, Hubble telescopes that he had kind of floating around and then just a demo touching it to move it around to different places and something as light as a fingertip touch on one side of it would send it kind of spiraling over the other way. It was really, really intuitive. And then one of the devs was talking about how since he developed the browser, internet browser for the, the, the meta too. He basically has only been using this. He doesn't even use his monitors only to turn on his computer. And then that's it. All of his windows are in front of him and he just opens up windows up, down everywhere for different things, be it his coding or his email and different things. And then he just uses that. And it, they showed a few demos of what it could do. And it was freaking slick as hell. Really freaking cool. I'd check that out. Yeah. So again, VR stuff keeps coming. We keep getting more news. There was also some Samsung one. I didn't bother posting that one, but it is, Mm -hmm. again, we're getting more and more all the time. And it is one of those things that it's not losing steam, which is what makes me the happiest. It keeps gaining, which means that it's going to have going to be on the Vive, right? What's that? Nothing. Never mind. Oh, you interrupted me for that. Oh my God. Anyways, it means it's here to stay. And it means that there's going to be constant improvements, which also means that the prices will be dropping and we'll be seeing some cool stuff in it. So that does justifiably have me very, very confident for the future of VR and what we're going to see in the next few years, which is bloody cool. So that is actually going to wrap it up for this episode. Just make sure to stick around. There's going to be a feature on the first episode of The Walking Dead Michonne and what I thought of it. And with that, we will let you go. We will see you next week on Monday for our live stream, as long as Joe doesn't cancel that as well. <laughs> and you can find us on Twitter at CB Informer. No, you can find Ooh. us on Twitter. It was just another plug. That's what that was. It was another plug for our other podcast. Uh-huh. You can okay. find us on right. Twitter at For the Lore. You can What's find Marty's us Twitter individual. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Or the lore.com. Just go. <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> Between seasons one and two of Telltale's The Walking Dead, they released a DLC entitled 400 Days. It was meant to bridge the gap between each season and introduce new characters those who would be featured more prominently in the second season. It was a good idea, as it allowed us to have an impact on the second season before it even began, as our choices in 400 Days impacted the characters in Season 2. As a bridge between the second and third season, Telltale decided instead to give us a longer experience featuring a known character. 
The Walking Dead Michonne is a three-episode miniseries that allows you to play as one of the franchise's most iconic characters. Michonne's been around for quite a while, having first appeared in issue 19 of The Walking Dead comic book. For those who have never read the comic book, she's a very complex character, flawed yet incredibly resilient. This describes many Walking Dead characters, certainly. However, Michonne brought something different to the group initially, a mystery that we couldn't wait to unravel. Vince and I have not hidden our distaste of the Walking Dead comic book on our Comic Book Informer podcast, or rather what it has become. Up until the 100th issue, it was spectacular. Robert Kirkman spun a twisted tale throughout those issues that left you constantly wondering if any of your favorite characters might be killed off. And unlike traditional comic books, while these fallen heroes do come back, it's not in a pleasant fashion and often involves bullets or machetes to the undead brain pan. Unfortunately, Kirkman seemed to run out of original ideas beyond the 100th issue, much like the TV series has. This is, of course, a subjective opinion and not one shared by all. Both the comic and TV series are still very popular. However, it ties into my feelings as it pertains to The Walking Dead Michonne, as there's nothing new to be experienced in this episode. This doesn't mean that it was bad per se, or even bland, but rather that it was entirely predictable. There were no surprises. The script practically followed a Walking Dead writer's guide book, which details every character, every encounter, every line, every outcome. The main character, in this case Michonne, needs a MacGuffin to power her transportation device, in this case a lever of sorts for the ship's steering wheel, and so she and the ship's captain row their little dinghy to a conveniently located ferry that's ground ashore. There they bump into other survivors, a confrontation ensues, zombies are introduced into the fight, and when all appears to have calmed down, a large group of survivors, armed to the teeth, kidnap everyone and take them back to their quote-unquote community where they meet the tough leader. If this sounds familiar, it's because we've seen this type of setting time and time again in the Walking Dead franchise. The idea that it's not the zombies which are dangerous, but rather the survivors, has been driven home far too often, case in point in Season 2 of The Walking Dead by Telltale. What makes The Walking Dead Michonne worse, however, are the constant cliches, ridiculous decisions made, and weak dialogue choices and narrative. The game starts off strong, with Michonne making her way through a forest setting, and for a while you think it must be a nightmare. However, you find out later that she's actually having hallucinations. Michonne's at an extremely low point, and your first choice as a character is whether or not she kills herself. Though, of course, she's not allowed to, and if you choose that option, as I did, you'll see that. At this point, you're either rescued by Pete, or he offers you a helping hand. Skip ahead three weeks and you're living on his ship with a crew that's entirely forgettable. Sure, Oak stands out a bit, but only because he's playing the role of quote-unquote pain-in-the-ass argumentative crew member number three. The rest of the crew are even less important, at least thus far. Once your boat crashes into a sunken boat, you perform your typical Telltale Games exploration around the ship, which is pretty scarce to be honest, and before you know it, you and Pete are headed to shore on a dinghy, which of course gets tipped over by swimming zombies. This whole scene was supposed to be gripping. Combine the fear of drowning with fighting underwater, and we as players should be thoroughly engaged. However, 
the scene doesn't quite work. There's no reason to believe the zombies would be able to swim to get to the boat, much less send the two overboard and the boat tipping over. There's a great scene that shows them all walking along the bottom of the lake, which makes a lot more sense. And as Michonne and Peach make their way to shore, you see a variety of zombies strolling around at very various depths in the water. But it wouldn't make sense to see of any of them doing the backstroke. And also, there's no mention of how Pete got away scot-free. He's just all of a sudden there. All in all, the scene was short and not nearly as gripping as it could or should have been. Next, we see our intrepid duo entering the ferry and investigating what went horribly awry there because the corpses they find had not turned, but rather were zip-tied and executed. The two act shocked. However, the events of this episode are to take place between issues 126 and 139 of the comic book series, and by then, Michonne's seen some shit, and lots of it. As horrific as this is for us, the viewers, it should be nothing new for her. Yet Telltale chooses to stray from the, the character's origins in order to impart upon the players how horrible this is. There are a few well-scripted moments to be found here, until Michonne and Pete are confronted by Sam and Greg, nervous siblings who appear to have been raiding the ferry before you arrived. Sam is the voice of reason between the two, and you see immediately that she's going to play a more pivotal role in the series, which to us longtime Walking Dead players means don't get attached to Greg. As with other Telltale games, however, you know that this encounter is far from over. Even after you've calmed the siblings down, a group of gun-toting thugs show up and take you by boat to their community on the water. And it's at this point that I once again started questioning Telltale storytelling. I know they kept wanting to stress this aquatic bullshit, but who in their right mind would create a floating community that can't be fortified, can easily be burned or sunk, and that likely has walkers crawling around under the water surface? It's at this point also that I started to lose yet more interest. You're introduced to the community's leader, Negan, I mean Nora, and it's the same song and dance we've seen time and time again. First, she gets separated and tossed into a storage room with Sam because it makes perfect sense to put thieves in a room full of supplies. Next, you get the inevitable escape attempt, and finally you get the scripted good cop, bad cop routine with Nora playing both sides and her brother Randall who kidnapped you. The dialogue is not only cliched but horribly strained regardless of who's talking though especially with Nora. The big cliffhanger sees you in a room with the siblings as well as Randall and a nervous cast extra who's pushed into shooting someone, then scolded for going too far when he does, and it just makes no sense. I know this all sounds fairly harsh, and I stand by my opinions regarding some of the things I believe Telltale point-blank screwed up on. However, for the most part, those aren't the things that would cause me to tell people to skip this miniseries. Rather, it's the fact that the game offers nothing new, certainly nothing of consequence, as it pertains to an interesting franchise character, and feels like the same song and dance we've already played through before. For diehard fans of the Walking Dead franchise, that may be enough, but for someone who expects more, and won't let a game coast on its title alone, episode one was disappointing.
Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.